Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Whatever he was going to tell me, I was going to accept. I do not fool around with this. I just, I opened the window um, and I said, what did I do? Do you know who I am? Yeah, no. What did I do? And he said, you went through a stop sign. Did you know that? And I said, I, I'm sorry. I thought I stopped. But, you know, okay. I mean, I don't. Now they have added some stop signs that are hard to see. Plus, if you have the muscle memory and you're only going out there a couple times a year. Uh, did you try and say something like, is that your envelope of $100 bills? Because no. it's not mine. No, I didn't yeah, say Yeah, wear the signed PTI hats. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. I paid the ticket yesterday. I wrote a check. I sent it out in the mail. So write a note at the bottom? Did not write a note at the bottom. Nothing See you in the court? Didn't know. Didn't Because I could have opted for see you in court. But anyway, this comes from Mark Hughes in Ashton, Maryland. Good call, Mr. Tony, in accepting your ticket in Rehoboth. Many years ago, I worked for the city of Rehoboth as a trash man. My truck had a running feud with a local house painter. One day, he left his ladder in the vicinity, and I used the term loosely of the trash cans at the house he was painting. I immediately grabbed the ladder, threw it in the back of our truck, and crushed it to about the size of a lady's purse. Five minutes later, Rehoboth's finest pulled up alongside our truck and took me away, claiming I had destroyed private property. I argued I was just doing my job. I was fingerprinted at the municipal center on Rehoboth Avenue, immediately sent before some sort of judge. While I was pleading my case, the city manager arrived and told the judge all was good. The city was buying the painter a new ladder. After a stern warning, the judge cut me loose. So there you have it. 30 minutes after a minor altercation in Rehoboth, I'd been fingerprinted and was pleading with a judge. You don't need all that. No. He's right. Thank you, Mark. You're right. Okay, um, today is the worst day of the year. It's the worst because it's the longest day of the year. It is the summer solstice. It is June 21st. There will be more light, although there will be no light in the sky in Washington, D.C. or Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, because it's cloudy and rainy and it's upsetting all of my plans for the end of the week. And I'm, I'm in a dither about this whole thing. But just as December 21st is an optimist's day, because it's the shortest day of the year and it builds from there. This is a pessimist day, and I identify more with the pessimists. Uh, the, day will, the days in June and July will be fine. The days in August you'll begin to notice, and the days in September you'll realize we're going down the drain. And it's just a <laughs> month or two before it's freezing and it's dark mm. and it doesn't get light till 7.30 in the morning. Have I infused this upon you in your life? A little bit, and I'm worried. We had to take the calendar down in our kitchen because our oldest son, the bootster, has become so fixated on the numbers that we had to remove it from his eyesight because he cannot, he cannot work around his birthday and where it fits in the calendar and what day it's soon. on. His birthday uh, is no, soon. No, but I, I'm, I think we're finally equipped. We get to this point of the summer. It's, summer's now officially started, uh, and we can enjoy the next two months, and, and September is just lovely. You still have those warm evenings. It's not really till the time changes in october that you start to notice time changes awful it gets dark yes. time changes awful that's no good but i know I, but on the other side you look at march and you, it's the extra light you can't do anything but it's still cold there's still Crazy. all these windy days so yeah but i've noticed i've been sitting out on our front porch every night the last week or two just enjoying that extra glow at the end of the day when the kids finally go to sleep yeah i played golf yesterday i snuck out to the golf course early in the morning i saw you yeah, I, I waved to Michael. We were on 16. You were. You, uh, someone played three. So you guys were, you were first on the tee sheet. No, the walkers always go first. Uh, Bernie Wolf and Mike Quinn, they always go first. They walk fast. They're, they're fine. We don't run into them. They're very, very fast. Arthur Mason. Um, I played very well yesterday up until a point. You know, I was playing with Jim Griffin and Peter Hicks and Al Serafino. It was Al's birthday yesterday. I'll kill the ball off the tee. It's the best. I've played with Al many, many times. The best driving I've ever seen by Al. And I was playing well. I had 45 on the front, and I had, and, and I should have done better than that, but I could not hit a gap wedge. I hit it short or I hit it long, even though I practiced it like crazy on the range and was comfortable on the range. And then, and I, I parred 10 and I parred 11, and these are hard holes. I doubled 12, okay. But I bogeyed 13, the par three, and I was happy with the four there. I hit a great five iron off the green in the back, and I was very happy with everything else. I parred 14. I was really playing well. It was about as well as I could play. And then it went down the drain. I doubled 15. I hit it in the water on 16. I doubled 17. And if I gave myself a real score on 18, it would have been 10. 
I hit it on the trap on the right, from the trap on the right to the trap to the left, couldn't get out, Ooh. finally get out, two, fe- two feet, and I'm still on the mound. And I don't know what happened. Did you start looking to the clubhouse when you got to 15? Because that's normally where you might exit if you want to go home yeah, and do PTI. Yeah, but I had enough time. I had enough I time. I know you had enough time, we were but done. did you start thinking about the Kelleher call? Maybe, maybe. But I was just awful, and I was playing really well. That's not what I want to talk about. You don't need to know about my golf. I talk about the dog and something that happened yesterday morning with the dog and something of a similar nature that happened this morning with the dog. We were walking through an area of woods, not thick woods, right off the road, a path into the woods a little bit. And there were two baby raccoons, not 15 feet from us. And she wanted to eat the raccoons. Yes. I mean, maybe in her head she wanted to play with the raccoons, but she was going to eat the raccoons if I didn't, like she's done with rabbits, yes. if I didn't hold tight. I'm an old man. She's an older dog, but she's still stronger. A strong, powerful dog. Yeah, she's, she's a strong, a, powerful yes. dog. She's a shepherd. She's a strong, powerful dog. And it was all I could do to keep her from going after these raccoons who kept inching nearer, two baby raccoons. Now, you might ask, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is they're babies, which means there's a mother somewhere nearby mm-hmm. and a dog can get in a fight with a dog but you don't ever ever want a dog to get in a fight with a raccoon because dog's going to lose that fight yeah dog's going to lose that. raccoons are big they're strong and if there's a maternal instinct going on and i mean i don't know much about animals but so i tugged and tugged i didn't see a, a larger raccoon but i don't want to be anywhere near it People remember the story I told from my first house in Washington, D.C., where a raccoon was perched on the garbage can, and this thing had to weigh 50 pounds. And it looked at you. And, and looked s- at me and said, this is mine now, bud. Why don't you go inside? Which is what I did. Exactly. So it's yours. So today, I'm walking the dog in the same place, and I'm very, very aware of How much light soul. is in the sky? Oh, no, it's, well, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's 6 in the morning, 6.15 in the morning. There's light in the sky. It's the longest day in the year. Didn't we just go through yeah, that? Yeah, no, I'm, tr- I'm trying to set this up in terms of we've, we've had some rain earlier this morning. I'm trying to, th- like, does it still feel like it's raccoon time versus there are other dog walkers out, there are people out and about? It was raccoon time. By the way, in terms of the solstice uh, shed, as from 543 to 837, it's the summer solstice. So yes. I'm aware of my surroundings, and I pull her away from where the raccoons were yesterday. And now I'm walking up this path, a familiar path to us. And all of a sudden, she goes to the left. Uh-oh. She goes to the left where there is a fence of sorts. It's not the strongest fence in the world. It's, it's a mesh fence. It's not a solid fence. You can look through it. It's just... Mesh, and she's tugging because there's something on the other side of that fence, and I don't know what it is. I can't see what it is. But dogs, as Chan Hardwick once told me, navigate the world through their noses. Mm -hmm. They smell everything. This dog, my dog, stops sometimes, puts her head in the air and sniffs around and then sits down. And you go, oh, what's this? What's this? And within 20 seconds, another dog comes around the corner. She's great. Yeah. Chessie has a great sense of smell. And she was going towards this fence and tugging. Now, she couldn't have gotten through it, but that is the last thing on earth I want. Maybe oh. that's where the raccoons lived, or maybe that's where they were by now. And maybe that's where they've been, so that's their den. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to, you, you might want to find a different loop to, to yeah, walk around. Yeah, I think so. Now, has she been crazed? Because this late spring into summer, we've had more rabbits than I've ever seen in D.C. She, um, she stares at rabbits. She stalks rabbits. She very, very slowly and methodically stalks rabbits. And when she gets close enough to where I think she's going to pounce, I'll go, hey, Mr. Bunny. <laughs> and then they'll take off. Because I don't want her yeah. killing rabbits. There's a you rabbit know, that... She doesn't eat them, but she breaks their necks, you know, and then carries them around for a while. Yeah, there, there's a rabbit that is just living very dangerously. Every time when I leave the house, he's in the front lawn. And yeah, I'm, and, they, and you know what? <laughs> what and they're doing? small. Yeah. And they're dopes. 
because there's a dog here. You know, the boys have named them Hoppy Joe, and they're all cousins. Okay, well that's fine, and <laughs> they probably Joe. are. They probably are. They, yeah, it's an enormous rabbit infestation. Are they harmful? They're not harmful. Rabbits uh, just to some of your, your lawn? Just to some of your plants. Yeah, they'll, yeah. yeah. Like those in deer will eat your plants I and stuff like that. I can't work the deer up a good just anger towards the through all of my begonias. A deer did? Yeah. Did you see the deer? Well, this happens overnight, so I can oh. see the I can see the deer prints. Uh, yeah, I got the salvia trying to protect some of that. I got some lantanas out there, but no, every single the top of the. How begonias. about an owl? How about a big stuffed owl? Well, I'd like to take your owl. I have two owls. Well, we, we need these for the harvest. <laughs> yeah. exactly. So anyway, so that's my story on on the dog and the, you know, and the and, stay away and from and raccoons. raccoons. Yeah, but find a new path. Yeah, because they can be rabid as well, and they are utterly yes. fearless. Yes. Yeah, they, and they're powerful. Yes. And they have incredible <laughs> claws. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, How they're, do you think they get around? They're climbing trees, aren't they? Yeah, they'll do pretty much what they want, and they they are not intimidated by. Does human the raccoon beings. have a predator in this town? I I I don't know. I, I don't mean, know what are predators. I don't think they'd be birds because they're too big. But we haven't seen any foxes recently. Raccoons are bigger than foxes. Yeah, but foxes, foxes are sly. Yeah, foxes are very can be very vicious. Do you think they take down raccoons? I'd like to see that fight. I'm not sure who would win. I, I'd probably put the raccoon in favor because because it's weight. I'd want to see a know? game seven at least. Yeah, <laughs> I think it would go the distance without question. We'll take a break. When we come back, Buster only. And yes, I have a couple of ice cream questions <laughs> for him. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Being around sports media and a fan of, oh, my NC State Wolfpack for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run to the one yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip have landed magic in Chicago, Michael in LA and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former sports center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week of the podcast, Trey and Kevin will probably open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall. Legacies will change forever. New goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Sean Tweedley, who performs as Mind Rip, has sent this. said, I'm very excited to be sending you my latest music. The song titled Hollow Inside, which you're listening to now, goes live on streaming sites on July 1st. If you're reading this before July 1st, as we are, thank you for starters. But also, if I could solicit the power of the loyal little nation and ask if they could pre-order or pre-save the song if they like it. This would go a long way to getting it onto a Spotify playlist, the ultimate goal for submitters of music to this show. Thank you for your constant support and also for being the greatest podcast on planet Earth. Maybe Uranus, too. (laughs) This is called Hollow Inside by Mind Rip, and we have another song later from Mind Rip. It plays in Buster Olney, and I'm going to give you the choice. We can take the ice cream questions now (laughs) or the baseball questions now and the ice cream question later. Which would you rather have? Oh, my goodness. You know, uh, I'm fascinated by the ice cream question. What do you got? Okay. So I went to the supermarket the other day in in search of new ice creams, ice creams I might like. I bought a gelato. I don't really like the gelato. And I bought a new brand called Oatly. O-A-T-L-Y. Are you familiar with that at all, Oatly? I am not familiar with that. Okay. So I bought Oatly coffee ice cream and because i didn't have my glasses with me it was only until i got home that i found out it was a vegan ice cream it has no real milk it would put your cows out of business it has something (laughs) called oat milk vegan ice cream and it has no flavor at all it doesn't taste like coffee ice cream it tastes i suppose like what vegans like in coffee ice cream but what what is oat milk and what is cows don't give oat milk right no, cows don't give oat milk. Uh, it, it, it's not related. Uh, and, and look, I you know come from Vermont, uh, where of course Ben and Jerry's, it's the home of Ben and Jerry's, and the cows that we had, Jersey cows, are best suited for uh, feeding into ice cream because yes. of the high butterfat content, and it, it's you know it's a 
It's a terrible development for mankind. And I must say, I have felt the momentum working against cows because there's so much conversations about climate change and flatulence from cows. Yeah. Right. That is a real thing. Uh, and I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that we're going to have a lot more oat ice cream as opposed to real ice cream. It doesn't taste like ice cream. It tastes like something different than ice cream. And I don't, I don't care if it's healthy. What idiot goes and buys ice cream thinking it's healthy? You buy ice cream because it tastes good, because it's sweet, because it's filled with milk and cream and stuff like that, right? Tony, thank you for supporting all jerseys I across do. this great land. I do, indeed. I'm, I'm, I'm done with Oatly ice cream. All right. We had a story yesterday. Wilbon and I are stuck doing this sports center two minutes that much better than they deserve. We work hard on it. And yesterday's uh, Sports Center segment was what is the most interesting storyline in baseball so far? And I have to admit that I was sort of stumped and I wrote down a bunch of things and I wrote down, for example, the rise of Arizona and Cincinnati and Miami, fully unexpected, the fall of the Phillies and the Mets and the Dodgers. You know, but what I thought, Buster, was that because of the rule changes before the season even started, that that sucked the air out of the first half of the baseball season. And I'm wondering if you agree that, that, that we are not yet involved with baseball as we might have been because we're still judging whether the rules work. Yeah, I don't agree with you. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I sort of moved on past the rule change stuff once we got a month into it. It was pretty clear that the product was going to be a lot different, and in my opinion, a lot better. When you're talking about, you know, cutting out 30 minutes of game time, I think it fits the, you know, the up and coming generation, which includes my 19 year old son uh, Jake, uh, who tells me that now he watches pretty much every pitch of every Atlanta Braves game, um, and I, I think it's. You know, there are adjustments that players are still making around the rules. There's still some quiet griping from managers, from pitchers about some of the new rules. But I think, generally speaking, uh, the sport has moved past that. I thought for sure you were headed toward Shohei Otani. Oh, I'm gonna, I'll get to that. Yeah, I'm going to get yeah, to that. Yeah. I'll get that, to Otani. That, to me, yeah. is a clear answer of, of uh, what's, you know, what, uh, what are we missing? Because he is not disappointed in the year of Otani. Um, by the way, is the time of game creeping back up at all, or is it holding steady? It's pretty much holding steady uh, right around the, you know, the 30. I, you know, as we get these updates from Major League Baseball. It's anywhere from 27 to 30 minutes per game reduced. And it's all, of course, it's all the fat being taken out of the sport. The game's you know, still 54 outs and nine innings. It's just you know, 30 fewer minutes because we don't see hitters stepping in and out of the box and pitchers uh, you know, walking off the mound. Yeah. I'll get to Otani now. I mean, Otani is is a great baseball player and a unique baseball player. And people who look at basketball players like Christmas Porzingis, Christophs Porzingis, and say he's a unicorn, they're stupid. Um, Otani is a unicorn. <laughs> I mean, he really is a unicorn. Uh, and the and the overarching question with him is always: Are you going to stay with the Angels? Is it going to be back to back you and Trout? And Trout maybe has found his swing again. That's a great story. Otani is a great story, right? Like the future of the Angels and the future of Otani. Yeah, and yesterday their general manager Perry Manassian said out loud what uh, you'd heard, you know, quietly from not only folks outside the organization but inside the organization. They're not trading Otani because this might be the best Angels team yeah. since 2014. Yeah. Uh, they've been a punchline for it feels like a better part of a decade. Everybody wondering how they couldn't win with the best player on the planet. Now they have two of the you know, top 10 players in the planet, and they still had struggled in recent years. But this year, as of this morning, they're aligned to make the playoffs. And Otani, look, we made a lot of comparisons with him to Babe Ruth because he was a two-way player when he came over here. But what he's doing offensively lately is very Ruthian like just as a hitter. You know, he's made this adjustment where he's driving the ball through the middle of the field. You know, he's hitting balls into the second deck in left center field. Last week, you know, Bruce Bochy, the Rangers manager, uh, you know, texted me that you don't see right-handed hitters hit the ball <laughs> where he's hitting. So he is dominating as a, as a hitter. He's had some issues somewhat as a pitcher, but, you know, he's helping to put them in place, and he's not going anywhere until the offseason, and then he'll leave the Angels. <laughs> yeah, he certainly might. I mean, he could have his pick of any place in the world because everybody will have money. By the way, um, with the shorter games – How's live attendance 
Is it up? How's TV, how's TV ratings? Are they up? Because you can watch the yeah. whole game. A hundred percent. Yes, ratings are up. Uh, attendance is up. And this is the number that I was sort of fascinated by, uh, and it reflected what I told you about my son, where he's watching every pitch of Braves game. And we get you know some tracking numbers at ESPN as the season goes along about how long people are staying with the game. Because in the past, when uh, Pedro Baez was on the mound and he was taking 45 seconds between pitches, that, of course, gave an excuse to anybody watching to you know, hit their clicker and, and move on to some other you know, uh, series or some other game. Uh, the average viewer is watching longer. And my numbers might be off, uh, but I think it's somewhere in the range of 8 to 10 minutes per game, which is what baseball hoped for with this. And, and look, I... There's so many things that you can criticize baseball for, Rob Manford for, uh, in recent years. But I think they got this one right because I think they were feeding right into, uh, you know, what they are hearing from their fan base is that it, baseball just took too long. Um, I will get to the three teams I mentioned at the top of this segment. Arizona, Cincinnati, and Miami. Cincinnati doesn't lose anymore. Miami wins every one-run game, and it's amazing to me that Arizona – is in first place in the NL West, which, which has three other really good teams who are chasing them. Which is the most surprising team of those three to you? Uh, well, I think the Diamondbacks are probably the most surprising team because the context that you just laid out. Uh, you know, division. Being in the National League West, yeah. right, with the Padres, who, you know, idiots like me picked the Padres to win the World Series before the year started. The Dodgers won 111 games last year. The Giants have all kinds of money. So for the Diamondbacks to be in that position is somewhat of a shocker. I think everyone saw their improvement and thought that their uh, incredible athleticism, which is embodied by Corbin Carroll, probably the front runner to win the National League Rookie of the Year, that they were best suited to take advantage of these new rules. Um, and they're playing great. I will say that right now, for me, the Cincinnati Reds are much must-watch TV because of this kid, Allie De La Cruz. Boy, oh boy, he can go from he can go around the bases in three seconds, <laughs> around all of them. Yeah. Boy, he, he yeah, he caused the pitcher from the Rockies last night to make three errors in one inning because he was so distracted by his presence running on the bases in the same game in which Cruz also hit a home run. Yeah, yeah, he he has. I I got a bunch of clips of him yesterday that Matt Kelleher sent me and preparation for talking about Cincinnati. And I know that you feel the same way. It's good for baseball when Cincinnati is good. Cincinnati and St. Louis in the National League are the best baseball cities. The baseball players revered there. You know, they had baseball before they had football in both of those cities. And I mentioned on the air that the only time we've talked about Cincinnati in the last three years is about Joe Burrow. It's nice. Isn't it nice when they're good at baseball? A hundred percent, you know, because the, the Cincinnati is the home of the big red machine. And for years and years and years, they were the first game they were, that, uh, that they had on opening day. And, you know, all you need to know about how energized the Reds are is just to, if you got a chance the other night, see Joey Votto's return yeah. for his first game. You know, this yeah. is the future Hall of Famer. And you can tell, like, Joey uh, it, this year is like Albert Pujols with the Cardinals last year, where he's completely energized by what the team is doing, by these young players. Uh, he hits a home run in his first game back. He gets an RBI single. It's really cool. If this is Joey Votto's last year, boy, you know, what a send-off. I'll get you out of here on this. Um, Luis Arise is at 400, or at least he was at 400 yesterday. I don't think anyone will ever hit 400 again because of relief pitching, because you have to face, you know, people who are thrown at 100 miles an hour in their one inning of work. But if you agree with that, what do you think the highest batting average we're going to see is? I think somewhere in the 380 to 390 range. Wow. I think he has legitimate chance because he puts the ball in play. And look, I, I was covering the Padres in 1994, which ended with a player strike. And at the time it stopped, Tony Gwynn of the Gwynn. Padres was yeah. hitting 394. And I will go to my grave believing that he would have hit 400 that year. In part, and, and Tony, you, you spoke with him, he loved baseball conversation yeah. he yeah. loved the media down the stretch you know ted williams who he was a friend with would have attended every game and would have been rooting him on and tony would have loved that that's the great unknown about a rise like how is he going to handle the scrutiny when we get to september if he's still flirting with 400 
and he goes over three, and you got you know idiots like me asking the question, hey. Uh, you know, how did it feel to go over today? Yeah. Uh, we don't know that. I think Tony would have absolutely responded to it. Yeah. I mean, 400, I, you know, I, I don't see 400 ever. I don't see 300 victories ever. I think these are marks, Buster, that are they're done because baseball has changed. They're done, right? I, I, Justin Verlander, I think, has an outside, outside chance to be, you know, a 300-game winner. His hero in, in his life was Nolan Ryan because, he, you know, he once said to me that, Nolan Ryan remained a power pitcher throughout his career, yeah. and Verlander's not having a good year this year, but I think he's, he's so driven, it wouldn't surprise me that if he hung on the last couple of years to get that number. That number motivates him, but after him, that's it. Yeah. Uh, and I agree with you about 400. You know, hitting now is more difficult than ever because of all the great relievers. You have to face new, new arms. Well, it's not, you're not going the fourth time through the lineup where you can maybe get a hit. Buster, thank you so much, and and I join with you in condemning oat ice cream. I join with you. And all, all Jersey cows, thank you. Okay. We'll take a break. Thank Buster Olney, boys and girls. Take a break. Mark Fisher will join us when we return. And we're going to talk about this submarine um, that they haven't found yet. And we, you know, I mean, everybody is, I would think, terrified about this whole thing. Yes. Mark Fisher, when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. You hear that? Your dog knows spring is coming sooner than you think. Dog walks, dog parks, playing fetch, all the stuff your dog loves to do with you. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas and ticks are in the grass, in the woods, and even on their dog friends. Fleas are an itchy nuisance, can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot, but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMeds has your furry friend protected with the best products to prevent flea and ticks all year long. PetMeds pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best products for your pet. PetMeds offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simperica, and more. And PetMeds AutoShip helps you save even more with additional discounts on regular shipments of PetMeds, dog food, and other high-quality supplies. So get ready for all the spring fun now. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com and promo code PODCAST. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Mind Rip. It's what Sean Tweedley calls himself when he records. This is called Wish. Michael, if people like Mind Rip want to send us their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. This song plays in Mark Fisher, our friend from the Washington Post, who is smarter than I am and knows what he's talking about and can answer my stupid questions. And my questions are all about... I, 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 I always thought this thing was a submarine, but they're apparently calling it a submersible... What is the... And, and it's lost. Like, we don't know where it is. It's in the water going to take tourism to the new depths to go look at the Titanic. What, just for people like me, what is, what is a submersible relative to a submarine? A submersible uh, is, is a little thing. It's, it's about the size of a minivan. Yeah. Um, so, it, and it's not, uh, it's not an independent ocean going vessel. It doesn't, you know, you, you don't get there on the submersible. It just takes you down. Um, uh, so, and it's, it's a limited, uh, oxygen supply. So you're only down in the depths of the ocean for a, a short time, theoretically. Um, and so it's, it's just a lesser vehicle than, than a submarine. Um, it's not meant for traveling from point A to point B. It's just meant to take you down to see something back up again. I am assuming that this one we're talking about, I'm assuming that the government has things like this that they work on and there are standards they adhere to, but this is a private company, right? This is the, this is the same sort of thing where people say, send me to space, and they go to that British guy with the long blonde hair and they say, shoot me up into space. I'd really <laughs> like to do that. This is the same thing, right? Yeah, it's basically like a little bus tour into the bottom of the ocean. 
but because it's so dangerous and rare, it's very expensive. So yes, it's like a little bus tour, except for the fact that it costs two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for each person uh, to be a passenger on this thing, and uh, so it raises a whole question of who is it out there who has this desperate desire to leave the surface of the Earth, whether shooting up into space or uh, dropping down to the bottom of the sea. And it's mainly really rich people uh, who seem desperate to leave the surface of the earth. It's almost as if they've, they've sort of uh, reached the pinnacle on the, on earth and they find that life is still missing something and they want to go find it in, in some godforsaken place. And uh, it's, you know, there are scientific and, and exploratory reasons uh, that people do this, but there's also just kind of thrill tourism, and I think that's what uh, some of this is. Two hundred fifty grand per person? Yeah, yeah. Well, why? Uh, why would it cost that much? It's not like they're getting food. I mean, <laughs> why would it cost that much? The, the buffet down there is, is, is limited. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it's, 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 these are profit making companies. These are expensive vessels to create. Uh, this one is, this one in particular is very controversial because, uh, although it is a private industry, they do have an industry group that sets safety standards. And that group said, uh, unanimously in a report last year that this particular vessel had cut corners and was not as safe as it was supposed to be. Uh, so they, there was a red flag warning, a flare that was shot into uh, the industry that said this thing is not uh, ready for prime time. Would you do this? I would never do this. Would you do this? Do you know anybody who would not, do this? Not a chance in the world. <laughs> I mean, just zero. Um, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go in it even if it wasn't going into the water. <laughs> yeah, I saw the movie Titanic. I don't have to go down there and look at at the Titanic. What do what do we think has happened? Because there is a report now of banging of of sound that that the way it is described to me sounds like deliberate human sound being made to guide people to where this boat would be. That's exactly right. It, it's uh, the description I saw was that they were. It was kind of a tapping noise, um, and the Coast Guard uh, said uh, just a little while ago that uh, a Canadian aircraft has uh, detected these sounds, and so they've shifted the operation, both the uh, the airplanes and the uh, marine vessels that are conducting this search have been moved to the area where the, the, the pings are being detected, uh, and uh, but they haven't found anything yet. So that's, uh, and time is running out. They've got uh, less than two days worth of oxygen left. Uh, so this is getting to be desperate. Uh, you got five people who are in this 22-foot-long vessel, so it's kind of crowded down there you got to imagine there's a certain degree of uh, of panic um sure and uh that's not good for the oxygen supply either so one of the things that the folks who are guiding the expedition are trained in is how to try to keep people calm in an emergency because you don't want people hyperventilating and using up the oxygen so we have this where it costs a ton of money to do and as I said before, people going into space privately, and it costs a ton of money to do. Um, is there any government regulation on both of these things? I don't think so. Um, no, I mean, this is, uh, this is in the middle of the ocean. It's 900 miles east of Cape Cod. So it's international waters. Uh, they're out there on their own. I mean, it is interesting that uh, there's been such a huge response from U.S. and Canadian uh, forces that are out there spending a lot of money trying to save these folks. And, of course, it's vital to try to save them. Yes. Uh, but it is interesting that uh, these countries hopped to and, and jumped on it so quickly and with such enormous uh, effort. And, um, uh, you know, th th this is a very boutique uh, 
uh, high-end pursuit. Um, James Cameron, the director of the Titanic movie, is one of the guys who does this. Uh, he went down in one of these vessels down seven miles, which is uh, much deeper than, than uh, even this one with the Titanic. And he said it was better than making movies. It was the greatest thrill of his life. Um, I mean, to me, it's uh, worse than Abu Ghraib. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I, yeah, I'm on your side of the street on this. I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but uh, the, the Senator Blumenthal, I think his name is, from Connecticut, is that his name? He wants yep. to get involved in the golf merger. I mean, he inserted himself in the golf merger. I would think that people in the Senate or people in the House would stand back right now today and say, what are we doing allowing people to go up in space and go down in the ocean without any sort of regulation here. What are we doing? Yeah, I mean, it's going up in space. I think uh, it's easier to make the argument for some regulation because uh, what goes up must come down, and that could cause some problems when it lands if it doesn't land properly. Um, but uh, for the ocean, it's a different story. I mean, there's there's a whole. I, I'm no expert on the law of the sea, but there is there is a degree to which when you're out there in international waters, you're not. Uh, under uh, any particular government's regulation. Um, and this is such a boutique thing. I mean, only 28 people have gone on this thing since they built it. And uh, so it's not exactly the kind of thing that's going to attract a lot right. of attention. In it's Congress not Disneyland. So few people. It's not Disneyland. Right. It's not a monorail no. or something. No, I, I understand that. But there's this... There's. This is going to allow me to launch into my, you know, hatred of the Internet as the worst thing that ever happened to mankind. But there is this crazy thinking now that science fiction can come true, you know, because we have cell phones, you know, because we have certain things that anything can come true, that you can go up into space. You know, there's probably people trying to launch themselves into space. You know, have no idea what they're doing, that you can go down to the depth of the ocean, that you can do anything. And I, I mean, there's a mindset here, I mean, I'm afraid of everything, but there's a mindset here that I'm not sure is necessarily the spirit of adventure that led to people, you know, going to the West. You know what I mean? I think it's sort of much more self-indulgent, much crazier, and much more fueled by the internet, the possibility that you can have anything you want anytime you want it. Or am I going crazy here? I, I, the internet connection is, is a little flimsy on this one, although I generally agree with you. Um, but I, I think it's more a reflection of uh, a society that has way too much money in way too few hands. Uh, you've got people who have vast sums of money, don't really know what to do with it, uh, are clearly not satisfied in their day-to-day -day lives, and they want this uh, extreme adventure um, to uh, sort of show that they can do things that no one else can do. And um, so it's, it's uh, although obviously you feel for the people who are in there, yes. uh, it's hard to imagine uh, making that decision and taking that kind of risk uh, when, when you have those kinds of resources. You'd think they'd be a little uh, more uh, savvy about things. But we also, I mean, we also have a group of people, and I guess we've always had this group of people, who are willing to fly the plane and willing to drive the submersible. You know what I mean? They're ready to yep. go. They're, and, they're, and that's scary to me. Just, they're the real adventurers, though. They're, the, they're yeah. the ones who, you know, they're getting these rich folks to subsidize their passion um, and, and make some money in, in, the, in the process. Uh, so they, somehow I, can, I understand their motivation a little better in that uh, this is, you know, they've devoted their lives to it to this and they've you know worked on these ships and de developed these vessels and uh all of that so th that makes a little more sense than the folks who are just plunking down uh you know buying a ticket uh just that just happens to cost two hundred fifty thousand dollars. you know what you said before um the mobilization of canadian and american rescue teams trying so hard to do this at some point regardless of the outcome and we all hope that they're found. But at some point, people are going to say, do you know how much this costs to do? Do you know how much this costs yeah. the United States and Canada to do? So maybe we ought to try to regulate this now because we don't want to go through this 20 times a year, right? That, 
yeah, that is, that would be a, 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 a certainly an understandable explanation for why they might try to uh, to rein it in. I just don't know if they they have the jurisdiction now. You know, I suppose they could legally say we're not. Uh, you know, next time this happens, we're not coming. Uh, but, but they that will would seem too cruel. Of course, they would just right. go. Yeah, they that's would. what they do. All right. Well, it's a, it's a story that I think everybody talks about. This story, nobody has any idea how it ends, but everybody talks yep. about this. Thank you, Mark. Anytime. Mark Fisher, boys and girls. We will take a break and we will have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this is the tony kornheiser show press record all right now i'm gonna sing so now i'm gonna sing a song it's a live jingle, a real important one But I've got no experience to draw upon I'd regale you with some lyrics about a wonderful story Without first-hand history, it would go rather poorly Now KJ can take over and sing something funny Wait a minute, is this how podcasters make all their money? Hey there it's the chorus Now I'm singing about doing live reads I sing the words and the hook from your Google machine If I keep singing, will I get funded by underwear, razors, and seeds? Build the chorus Do they pay for jingles about live reads? I'm singing a jingle about live reads I'm repeating these words again because they're important <laughs> I'm singing a jingle about libraries. I'm playing the same chords over and over. I bet you didn't notice unless you were paying attention. That's falsetto. <laughs> singing a jingle about libraries. Jason Fuse and Kirsten Onstadt. Maybe they'll sing at Jingle Fest this weekend. We hope so. Maybe they will do that. Do you want to do the Bethesda Bagel read for us, please? Yes, got the bagel sandwich today. Always happy Exciting. about that. Bethesdabagels.com. Uh, Just go find a location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in, and you will be thrilled. All right, that'll do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, it's been 40 days since I don't know when. I just saw her with my best friend. Do you know what I mean? Do you know? Do you know what I mean? That's Lee Michaels. Yes. There's a, you know, one of the lyrics in that, as Nigel threw out the first line to me last night, of course, I knew the second one, <laughs> the well, she and Bobby were stepping out. <laughs> she and Bobby, you know, I found out. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Thanks to our guests today, Buster Olney and Mark Fisher. Thanks as well to today's sponsors, Etsy and Grammarly. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It's a very interesting email here from Marty Zadravec. Now, this is... The son of, I believe, Marty Zad. Marty Zad was the longtime sports editor at the Washington Post before George Solomon. Okay. I did not know him, but I knew of him, Marty Zad. And Martin, who I assume is his son, in Silver Spring writes, Tony, happy Father's Day to you and to Michael. Thank you both for sharing your special, special bond with all of us. 
This is truly what Father's Day is about. I'm writing to you from in front of the Sunday NBC coverage of the U.S. Open, part of the fabric of Father's Day for as long as I can remember. Watched dozens of them on this day with my father. I believe you knew him, or at least of him. Dad worked at the Washington Post for 53 years, sports from 1951 to 1974, before your time, but he hired a few of your contemporaries, Denlinger, Shapiro, Boswell, Solomon, Dupree. On a picture on my shelf are the two of them working at Madison Square Garden, Shirley Povich signed to my best friend and right-hand man for all those years. Like Michael, I was a press box brat, playing catch at training camps with NFL Hall of Famers, talking shop and dugouts with baseball legends, courtside for NBC championship games. Christine Brennan wrote about it in her book, Best Seat in the House. They gave us wonderful lives, better than the ending of a certain Jimmy Stewart movie. I picked up my son from his summer job at Columbia about an hour ago, and we were watching every shot of this open together. Love the West Coast majors. He went 36 today and got home in time to watch all of it. One of his loops today, he catted for some guy named Sheehan, who may or may not have been on the phone with you during the round. Which is true. Maybe one day soon he'll get Michael or you, ah, the connective tissue. Thanks again, Dad. All Pablo humor aside, Michael, they've given us the best. Enjoy it. Happy Father's Day again to you both. It's it's really nice. It's lovely. Um, and happy Father's Day to Glenn Pop Warner, Gene Big Daddy Lipscomb, David Big Poppy Ortiz, Big Daddy Don Garlitz, and happy Father's Day to the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all, where Christine spread her father's ashes, which I did not. Know. Oh, wow. You know, so that's that's just really lovely. Martin Zadravec, Assistant Director of Instruction for MCG Academy, Lead Golf Instructor for Northwest Golf Course. He's involved with the first team, Michael, so you've probably run into him. This is amazing. Yeah. How probably... about a uh, press box orange soda? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your father was not a sports editor. Was not. From Vincent O'Reilly in Austin, Texas, formerly from Manhasset, New York, home of the great Jim Brown, famous people from my hometown. I don't have a one in a million moment or a David Aldridge moment. I'm just writing to say thank you for the many hours of great conversation on the pod between you and your wonderful guests. Thanks also to Michael and Nigel for great contributions. Happy birthday to Bootsy the Hammer and the Captain. Please don't retire anytime soon. From our friend Grant McGuire, who emails us a lot in Huntington, West Virginia. Tony to podcast audience. Toronto is east of Buffalo. Toronto's east of Buffalo. Michael to Nigel. Toronto is east of Buffalo? <laughs> Nigel and Michael, forget it, he's rolling. Well, it's not east of Buffalo. I had that completely wrong. It's west of Buffalo. From Scott Feist, who sends a map yes. from New Bedford, <laughs> Illinois. Toronto, east of Buffalo. Uh, is this a new map you're using? In our maps, it's northwest of Buffalo. Northwest, not near east. Okay. We may have gotten that one wrong. Got we no, I I got it wrong. It's still not in the Midwest. That that is very true. Josh Packard yes. in Greeley, Colorado. In one of last week's shows, you mentioned great moments in Canadian sports history, including a bunch of hockey moments. Jim Car- Joe Carter's Homer and Ben Johnson. I assume Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors don't count because they're listed in the great moments of Midwest sports history. Um, I guess it counts. I guess it counts. I I can't. I guess sure. I apologize for that. From Chris Bansells of Forest Hill, Maryland. After 10 years at the same school, I decided it was time to move on to greener pastures. A fellow teacher who I've grown close to over the years brought me a going-away present this week. Given that I always have a cup of coffee near to hand, he filled the bag with coffee-related treats. A bag of dark roast coffee, a can of cold brew coffee, and even a bag of chocolate-covered espresso beans. They were all from Trader Joe's. I was touched by the obviously thoughtful gift, but the first thing I said in response was, how was the parking? <laughs> Dear Lord, what is this stinking show doing today? You have to use the mirrors to get out of that you know. place. From Henry Elaine, Dear Mr. Tony, I've always tried to imagine what you look like trying to get yourself out of a bunker after watching Xander Schauffele. Now I know. Yeah, he had difficulty with it. From Al Ruggles in Lexington, Kentucky, I was playing golf with a fellow little Andy at Greenbrier Country Club. Not that Greenbrier last week. It's June. It's a bit warm. I opened the wrapper to my chocolate-covered nut snack bar only to be covered in melted chocolate. Andy, that's why Tony doesn't eat chocolate on the golf course. Me, yeah. Paydays. Information for life. That's, That's right. why you do it. From Bill Pitcher in Quarryville, Pennsylvania, who plays the organ so yes. beautifully. Love Bill. I hope you get to Peter Luger for steak. I think you'll hate it. Why would I hate it? It's, it's the best steak, right, Michael? I wouldn't say it's the best steak. It's the experience that you as a New Yorker have to have. Yes. And I haven't had it. From Anthony Walter. Is this the new game? I wound up 7,649 miles away. Not as far as Chris and Taya now, but there were some closer than me. I guess that's one positive <laughs> way to look at it. This is from Wally in Shitan, Okinawa, Japan, who signs Chuck and Roxy episode to be determined. From Charlie Schreier, formerly of Playa Vista, California, now of Situate, Massachusetts. 
Last time I wrote in, it was about my first David Aldridge moment when you did the liquid IV read. I write to you again on Tuesday, June 14th show. You mentioned two places I have great fondness for on opposing sides of the country. The band who played in Steve Sands held from, hailed from Haddon Heights, New Jersey, the small suburb of Philadelphia, where I grew up and where my parents still live. It had always been the little brother with a chip on its shoulder town to the more sought-after Haddonfield next door, though in recent years, Heights has become a hotspot. Interestingly, Sansy then mentioned he would be going to Gujalina, G-J-E-L-A, Jelena in Venice Beach, California for dinner that night. What a great choice. One of my favorite restaurants during my 17 years living in Los Angeles, Jelena, pronounced Jelena. So it's a silent G. Okay. I realize now that I've written this email that it's probably interesting to no one else but me. But since my wife surely doesn't care, I may as well tell the littles. Maybe there'll be some empaths in the crowd. From Abraham or Abraham in Silver Spring. Here's a free plug from some local businesses that DMV Littles can or should try. George's King of Falafel and Cheesesteak. Oh, yes. Located in Georgetown. You've been there? I have. 1205 28th Street. While they do make solid cheesesteak, they They also make some pretty damn good shawarma. But I guess George's King of Falafel and Cheesesteak and shawarma might have been a little too wordy for a restaurant name. They're open from 12 noon to like 2 and 3 and 4 a.m. Yes. Their halal status and extended hours makes George's a hotspot for Muslims living in the DMV. If you don't know what halal is, please have Nigel and or Michael explain it to you. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure what halal is either, but that King George's is great. You've been there. I may have been asked to leave at various points really? late at night. You don't associate King George's with, with, with falafel or shawarma. Or cheesesteaks. You, you don't. <laughs> Basically something kosher, but for a different culture. Okay, okay. From Leslie Thomas in Hillsborough, North Carolina, I've been thinking about what to do for vacation this year. And when you mentioned Moose Jaw Saskatchewan, I thought, that's it. I first looked for places to stay in there, a bunch of them, who knew? And then I looked for things to do. Number one, a walk to look for moose. My interest had peaked. <laughs> so now we're deciding how to get there from North Carolina. I like to drive, but that might take all summer. So we're planning to fly and drive. Thanks for helping out with our vacation plans. From Joseph Cutlass in Omaha. Dear, dearest doctor of humane letters, so terrific to hear the lyrics from Jackson Brown's The Loadout segue into Wednesday's mailbag. Love the song, of course. Anna provided a David Aldridge adjacent moment for me. You see, just the night before that pod was recorded, the woman to whom I related, I'm related by marriage were in row three, center, at Omaha's Orpheum Theater, watching Jackson Brown close his amazing show with you guessed it, The Loadout and Stay. Mm. As a mate at Trader Joe's, I'll also throw in our parking lot is fine, and our coffee bean blast ice cream is even finer. Say the word, and a box of that is yours. Mm. Yeah, that would be good. That would be good. And he enclosed some pictures of Jackson Brown. Uh, from Dennis Royer, Independence, Missouri. I live four miles east of the Truman Sports Complex. I was listening to Wednesday's mailbag theme, and Nigel was right. It's an alto saxophone. Mr. Tony, at least you knew it wasn't an oboe. Kudos to you for that. How do I know that instrument? I know it because I've played one since I was nine, and I used to give private lessons on sax, clarinet, and flute. I applaud the young saxophonist, British pronunciation, saxophonist. Mm. Whoa, tone, and her articulation is spot on. Someday, maybe I'll record my own rendition of the mail. Well, why wouldn't you do that? please do. Paul from Hamilton, New York. Yes, that Hamilton, New York. Anybody want to guess what's in Hamilton, New York? Not Hamilton College. Colgate? Colgate is in there. Seven Oaks is in there. Michael and I have been to Seven Oaks and played it. Beautiful course. Is it a nice course? Yeah. Yes. It's Robert Trent Jones' second course ever. The first one was the Cornell, Cornell course. Oh, wow. Yeah. Been listening since the ESPN radio days. Finally had my David Aldridge moment when Hampton Nager talked about his imaginary Canadian girlfriend. I thought, wait, I know that girl. She was my imaginary girlfriend when she went to England. That's funny. From Paul Quinn in Armadale, West Lothian in Scotland. If the new game is going to be sports people's nicknames, I would like to submit Fitz Hall, a former English football player, for the greatest nickname. He was and possibly still is referred to as one size. And yes, that would make him one size Fitz Hall. That's just, that's better than Fairway Jesus. That's pretty good. That's just better. Good old one size. From Rich, Rich Ottinger in Voorheesville, New York. Chuck and Roxy, number 56. And he goes, top 50, baby. <laughs> I got married in September. I guess you can say I had a good off-season that year. Got on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. What's that, chicken? Every night is the f- chicken. <laughs> Holy God almighty. I can't find the time 
Start again 